Well, this morning we uh, are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I invite you to turn there with me in your Bible, or you can follow along up here on the screen. We're looking at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. If you're familiar with that, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. So please read along with me and give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand here idly all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, again, we come to you and we ask uh, what only you can give, and that is illumination, uh, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning as a church, but also us individually as your people. We ask this with thanksgiving and in need, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've said uh, over the last number of weeks that we're in this section of Matthew that some call the little Sermon on the Mount. They call it that because this is a section where Jesus is teaching on the ethics of the kingdom. This is a huge part of the the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And here in chapters 18, 19, and 20, scholars see a similar theme, that Jesus is teaching about how we are to treat one another in the church, in the kingdom of God. Um, And I have to tell you that today's teaching... caught me off guard, and I'm I'm curious whether it will catch you off guard as well. As I thought about and read this parable, I thought, huh, isn't this parable about the grace, the amazing grace of God, and maybe about how the Gentiles were brought into the kingdom after the Jews, right? The Jews were called first hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the Gentiles, and this is just a picture of God's amazing grace. Well, all that's true, and all of that can be applied to this parable, but really, this parable is a warning for those of us who are already in the church. Jesus is warning 
Peter and all of the apostles, and through them us, against spiritual pride. We are the ones who may see ourselves as first, and if, unless we're careful, we may find ourselves last. All right. So, uh, we're going to jump into this parable and see what the Lord has to teach us this morning. You ready? Yes. Paying attention? Good. Here we go. Uh, first, I just want to make some observations, and, and I want to do some teaching about, about parables. Parables, Jesus' parables, are always about one thing. Now, you can discern and you can, you can pull other things out of parables, but really you need to keep in mind that Jesus taught a parable to teach one thing, and that's what Jesus is doing here, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But, but here are some things we can take from our observation. The, the parable is about a master of the house, and by the end of the parable, we realize that the master of the house in the parable is God. So what do we discern about God? What is Jesus teaching us about God in this parable? Well, the master of this house goes out multiple times during a day, seeking laborers. And you'll notice he goes out about every three hours. The beginning, he probably went out about 6 a.m. And then we're told, uh, and if you understand how the, you know, the, how the first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, he basically went out at 6 a.m. and at 9 a.m. and noon and 3 and then 5 p.m. And the work day, roughly here in the parable, is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. But what do we notice? Well, first is that this is God who is going out and doing the seeking and calling laborers into his field. And so this parable actually echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 9. If you recall, Jesus sees a crowd of people. He calls them helpless um, and harassed. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's really what this parable is about. The Lord of the harvest is going out seeking laborers. Wherever the gospel is preached, (laughs) this is the master of the house going out and calling men, women, and children to himself, come in, come in to my field, become one of my laborers, one of my servants, and again, notice that it's God doing the work, doing the calling. He is, he is out and about in the preaching of his word. God is jealous. God is desirous that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and become one of his own. And so we take great comfort in Jesus' parable that, that the work of the kingdom is God's work primarily. He is the one doing the calling. And yet he sends us out into the field. It is God working through us. Second, those that the Lord calls and those who answer his call are immediately sent out into the harvest field. Doesn't, he doesn't distinguish. He doesn't say, well, you know, you're short and weak, and so I want you to go work in the back office, and you're, you know, you're really robust, and so you go into the field. No, to be a Christian is called to be a laborer of God. I think we need to hear that today in, in sort of our professionalization of Christianity and, and celebrity preachers and, and missionaries. We think, well, those are the people who are specially equipped and gifted and called to do the work. I'm just, I'm just a little Christian. But no, 
The parable teaches that everyone who hears and responds to the Lord's call is sent into the harvest field. Now, further teaching in the, in the scriptures tells us that we all are a member of the body, and every member of the body has its own giftedness. And so some in the body are hair or eyes or ears, and some are feet and toes and knees. Some are more prominent than others, but every member of the body is needed. So ask the question, do you see yourself as a laborer in God's harvest field? Are you about your father's business, or are you primarily about your own business? Now, we can be about our father's business no matter what business we're in. (laughs) So this isn't a call to leave your profession or do something super spiritual. It's more of an attitude of the heart. Are you laboring intentionally, knowingly in your father's, in the master's field? All right, third observation is that as the master of the house goes out, he goes out repeatedly throughout the day. What would you think if you were observing this uh, going on in your presence, right? Man, this guy, he is really after this harvest. (laughs) He didn't get enough people at six. He went out at nine. And he didn't get enough at nine. He went out at noon. And and then again at three, there's, there's this underlying urgency in the master. It's, and if, you know, None of us, including me, grew up in an agrarian, uh, maybe you did, an agrarian society or on a farm. But I do know that when it's harvest time, it is harvest time. It is time to work. And if you, uh, if you don't capitalize on harvest time, you're going to miss some of the harvest. And so I think we see part of God's heart here. There's an urgency. There's a desire to collect all who are the Lord's. The Lord's heart is open desirous. And so we should have a sense of urgency as well as his laborers out in the field. All right, now another final observation about those uh, the master calls at about 5 p.m. near the end of the day. I think this is interesting. He goes out and he asks this question. He only, he only speaks to a few of the groups. But he goes and he says, why are you just standing around all day? And what do they say? Well, because no one's hired us. And you might think, huh, these are, these are laborers maybe who've been standing around all day and no one has called them to themselves. And many commentators see here again a picture of God's heart towards those whom nobody wanted. These are those who are just left lying around for whatever reason. Those who are overlooked who are looked down upon, who are not seen as valuable in that culture or that society. In Jesus' day and throughout the Gospels, this is often the sinners, right? These are the ones that the Pharisees uh, look down upon. You have that great parable of the Pharisee who stood in the temple and and thanked God for loving him and forgiving him his sins, but then the, the tax collector on his knees next to him who beat his chest and said, forgive me, Lord, I am a sinner. God's heart is welcoming welcoming of all people, regardless of who they are. There are none who are not welcome in the Lord's heart. And so it is to be in God's church. 
This reminded me, um, well, along with the idea that God calls all to himself, and then he makes them laborers. This reminded me of a beautiful story in our own church. Um, there was someone who came into our church through acts of mercy. This is someone who uh, we were connected to through a, a former member and someone who needed assistance. And so members of our church, actually very similar to the story that we just heard a moment ago, uh, members of our church came alongside them and helped them get on their feet, right? They had to go through a, a series of steps. It wasn't easy. It took months for this person to get back on their feet, um, but they were loved well. They came into our church, began worshiping with us, became part of the community. And recently, this person has expressed a desire to be on our mercy team. And as I thought about that, I said, this is God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. Someone who received help through the body of Christ now wants to become one through whom help comes to others in need. Do you see that picture here in the gospel? We are all needy sinners whom God calls to himself. He provides for, and then he calls us to be laborers in that kingdom alongside him. It's beautiful. Okay, now we come to the heart and the meaning of this parable, past these observations. Uh, If we're going to understand parables, we have to understand where they're coming from, why do they originate, and to whom are they being spoken So the origin of this parable comes at the end of the previous chapter, the end of chapter 19. If you were with us last week, you know we saw Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. This this young man came to Jesus and asked a series of questions. What must he do to gain eternal life? Ultimately, Jesus challenged him and his heart idol of possessions, and he said, go and sell all that you own, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. Then we're told the the rich young ruler left sad because he has had many possessions. Well, in response to that, Jesus told his disciples how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, we, we went over all that last week. But what was interesting was Peter's response to Jesus in that moment. He speaks up and he says, hey, look, Jesus, we... Your disciples, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we get? And it's kind of an interesting question, and, and it's, it's a, this is a helpful question to ponder over, over time, because I think what Peter is getting at is he's looking at this rich, rich young ruler, someone as a poor fisherman he might look up to in the, in the Jewish culture. This was someone with wealth was considered favored by God. But this wealthy person had turned away from Messiah. And so Peter is thinking, wow, he turned away from Jesus. He wasn't willing to give up everything, but we were. What does that mean for us? Maybe God will favor us even more than that guy. And when Jesus comes into his kingdom, side note, right, the apostles at this point and all of Judaism believed that when Messiah came and came into power, it would be a military power, that he would become king of Israel, dominate Israel's enemies, and just become king of the world. So Peter and the apostles are thinking, I'm getting in at the ground floor. I found the Messiah before anybody else. When he becomes king, I'm going to be the king's friend. 
I might be an official in the kingdom of God. Lord, what are we going to get? What's in it for me? That guy was filthy rich. I'd love to have half what he has. But I was willing to do what he couldn't do. What is in it for me? Now, Jesus' response is incredibly gracious, as you might imagine. At first, he says, hey, you know what? You apostles, there is something special for you. You're going to sit on 12 thrones, and you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You play a unique and special role in the coming kingdom. But then he says, everyone who leaves home and family, lands, and all of this stuff uh, will receive a great treasure and eternal life. But then, (laughs) he says this, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. That's the last verse of chapter 19. If, If you've got a Bible, you can see that. And then, verse 21, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, so this parable flows immediately out of this conversation with Peter. Jesus is responding to Peter's question. That's the purpose. And notice that the end of the parable, verse 16, he says, so the last will be first and the first last. So the verse right before and right after this parable, he repeats himself. He's telling us this is what the parable is about. Some who think they are first consider themselves first may be disappointed on the last day. So again, this parable is meant to respond to what Jesus sees inside Peter's heart. How does it do that? Well, we heard the story, right? This wealthy landowner goes out. He seeks laborers. Some go out at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon. Well, at the end of the day, this landowner says, pay the laborers. And they start with the guys who've been there one hour. And they get a denarius. Now, a denarius was a fair wage. It was actually a generous wage for a day's labor in the field. And so, so imagine yourself being those people who, who went out at 6 a.m. You're like, holy cow, these guys worked one hour. They get a day's labor. I mean, you know, I'm not great at math, but if I, I worked 12 hours and they worked one hour, maybe I'm going to get 12 times as much. Well, they go down the line and And they get a denarius just like everyone else. And now they grumble. They grumble. Can you imagine, right? What what does the the landowner say? He says, uh, didn't we agree? (laughs) Didn't we have a conversation at the beginning of the day? You work for me today and I'll pay you a day's wage. Well, yeah, but, 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 nope. You see, The apostles had come, right, into the harvest field at the breaking of the dawn. As the Messiah came onto onto the picture, they enter. They follow Jesus. They give up everything, everything that the rich young ruler was unwilling to do. And so Peter's heart began to think, oh, man, there's great reward for us at the end of the day on Judgment Day. You see, the danger of Jesus warning to Peter and the apostles is that they were bringing their earthly uh, measures into God's kingdom, right? This is how we still live today in an earthly kingdom. The world is built upon a merit system, right? A works righteousness matrix, a failure boasting scale. 
Some are at the top and some are at the bottom. What are some failure boasting scales at work in your own life or just some that you see around the world? Wealth, right? Oh man, you go around Atlanta, sometimes you see people driving a Maserati or a Ferrari or whatever, and you're like, oh, that's amazing. I was, uh, I was down in South Florida a couple weeks ago and I saw a Lamborghini where the doors, you know, they open like this and I just, I just hovered around the car for like five minutes taking pictures, it was awesome. Right? There's, there's attractiveness. There's, there's followers on social media, right? This person has hundreds and thousands of followers. This tweet went viral. I've, I've gone this far in my career. But our, our failure boasting scale, it actually, it's actually very unique to us and to our situation. For some, the people at the top of the failure boasting scale are the rich. For others, it's the poor, right? Oh, those rich people. They have all their needs taken care of. They've never suffered a day in their life. They're terrible. It's really people like us, the poor people. We're the ones who suffer. We're the ones that God truly loves. What is your failure and boasting scale? You see, Peter believed that because he'd come to Jesus early, he was at the top of the scale and that he was going to gain much more than others. He was in danger of looking down on others in the kingdom of heaven. I I like this quote from J.A. Bengal. He says, It is wicked to wrong God, but it is still worse to think oneself wronged by God. And men think this oftener than one would suppose. This is Jesus' warning to Peter. Could you imagine coming to the, to the, to the end, the judgment day, but being disappointed <laughs> that someone else in the kingdom received equal to you? Now, this could take us down another rabbit trail about rewards in the kingdom, We don't have time to talk about that today, but this is how Jesus talks about it. When we enter into the kingdom, we will receive rewards from God. And in this story, those who went out first grumble on Judgment Day, on the day that they receive from the Lord, from his hand, the love and forgiveness that they did not deserve, yet they grumble. They were disappointed. Can you imagine? God forbid that any of us would have that heart on the last day as we enter into the kingdom. So again, the question, who is undeserving in your world? What is your failure boasting chart? And you can tell what it is because we go up and down our own failure boasting chart. What is it that when you accomplish it, you feel so good? You feel so successful. And yet when you fail at your own test, you feel like a failure. You feel down on yourself and depressed until you can climb back up. As I reflected on this parable, um, (laughs) I'll just be transparent. As I thought about it, I thought about the American church. I thought about our own church. I thought about people that drive me crazy. 
And I thought about them on Judgment Day and about them grumbling about um, how the Lord was unfair. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit gave me about three minutes, and then he was like, boop, boop, boop. What about you? Me? No. Never. Wait. And I thought about people in my life, people I have pastored, people I've been neighbors to, family members who I felt like I loved well, and yet they hurt me, or they didn't receive my service well or the way I wanted to. And I imagined them, I imagined us standing close together on Judgment Day, whatever that's going to look like, and Jesus going up to them and giving them their reward and it being equal to mine. And I felt this bitterness (laughs) and this anger and this disgust begin to rise unbidden in my own heart. And finally, I understood the warning. That even as we serve, even as we love, even as we seek to follow Jesus, our own hearts, because of the sin that infests us, we will always have someone that we look down upon. There's always someone that we find less righteous than ourselves. So again, who would be this undeserving person, this undeserving type for you? Who, if they received from the Lord the same grace and reward in heaven, would tempt you to grumble? Okay, well, what do we do? What do we do with this? This thing that Jesus is warning us about is present in all of us. Well, as we close, I want to offer two things, two things Jesus is calling us to in light of this reality. First is to confess it and turn to the Lord for forgiveness. This is always what we are to do when the Lord gives us a warning. When he asks a question, any question Jesus asks is like an altar call. (laughs) It's a confrontation. We are meant to sit with it and allow that question to enter into our heart and reveal those things in us that the Lord wants to reveal. And as our own sin is revealed, first we may be repelled by it. We may be tempted to defend it or to argue it away. But ultimately, by the work of the Spirit, we are to receive it with thanks and to confess it to the Lord. And submit ourselves to his amazing generosity as our God. The Lord knows what others have done to you. They have done worse things to him. And yet he has forgiven them. And he has loved them. And guess what? We have done worse things to God than anyone has ever done to us. Now, if you don't think so then I want to challenge you that you don't have a biblical view of sin or a right view of yourself. And I want to point you to Matthew chapter 18, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant where Jesus teaches this very point. Okay. But what do we do after we confess and ask the Lord for forgiveness? Well, the second thing is to rejoice (laughs) in God's amazing grace and forgiveness. God has no failure boasting scale. (laughs) Even though we use it to look down on others, when we are, when that sin is revealed in our own hearts, we see our own, our lack of deserving God's love and forgiveness. And yet, here's the gospel. No matter who you are, if you come to Christ, you are forgiven. 
You are loved. You are adopted. You are lavished by the Lord. And so we can revel in God's love. The fact that there is nothing in our lives, no failure we can do, nothing that will diminish his love for us. He loves us as a father loves a child who can never sin their way out of his loving embrace. And you know what? The greatest we will ever worship is after we've been reminded of our fallenness, reminded of our sinfulness, reminded of how far we fall short. And yet in that very moment, the grace and the love of God meets us and says, I love you still. I knew that about you long before you ever came to me, long before you ever asked for forgiveness. You are mine, and I love you. It's true that we are all like those workers hired in the early morning. Our sinful hearts will always find someone to look down upon. And yet, God never rejects us from his family. Amen? We are always home. You see, in God's kingdom, there is no failure-boasting scale. And so there should not be among us, brothers and sisters. So let us confess those things. What distances us? What, where do we push people down to elevate ourselves? Where do we push ourselves down because we've elevated others? The ground is equal, beloved, at the foot of the cross. And so let generosity, love, and embrace define us at Village Church. And when we do, God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in this warning. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us. This is true about us. This was true about Peter. This was true about James and John and Matthew and all the apostles. And it is true of us. Lord, you love all. And your generosity is more than any of us deserve. And so let us rejoice. And let us be your children and imitate that generosity and love for all those around us. Especially those in the kingdom. But also our neighbors outside the kingdom as you invite them and we pray this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.